Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining me tonight here on Golf Talk Live. And in just a moment, I will bring out uh, the Coach's Corner panel. But first, uh, let me just remind everybody, uh, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, also tonight, uh, I want to, uh, again, welcome back uh, this year's Coach's Corner sponsor, uh, golfswing.com. They're going to sponsor the Coach's Corner panel segment again this season here on Golf Talk Live. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about them, and then I'm going to introduce the panel. We're going to get into tonight's discussion. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by a very good friend who's been on the show. He was actually on the Coach's Corner panel uh, a number of years back, and he's been busy doing some other th- things. Uh, Eric Cogorno, Cogorno excuse me, uh, the founder and owner of Cogorno Golf. Uh, he's going to be joining me uh, here on the second half of the show. Uh, but first, let me just tell you a little bit again about GolfSwing.com. Uh, with its cutting-edge technology, have teamed up alongside some of the best golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Together, they have created one of the best video teaching and online training platforms in golf. Uh, if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. Um, go to golfswing.com after the show. Join today, watch, practice, and improve your game. I want to thank uh, all of the uh, folks at golfswing.com again for faithfully uh, sponsoring this segment of uh, uh, Golf Talk Live Coach's Corner. Uh, all right, I'm going to introduce the panel tonight. Uh, Bill Abrams, he's a PGA professional and owner of and Director of Instruction at Golf Solutions Academy in Belmaro, uh, Woods Freight, Illinois. Uh, Illinois excuse me. Uh, he's also, you'll find him in the winter months for a few more weeks yet. You'll see him down at the Grand Palms Resort in Pembroke Pines, Florida. He was also the 2017 uh, Central Illinois PGA Teacher of the Year and 2015 Illinois PGA Te- uh, Professional of the Year as well. He's joining me on the panel tonight. Also on the panel is Jamie Leno-Zimron, uh, speaker, instructor, body worker, and consultant. She's also an Aikido six-degree black belt, uh, Class A LPGA teach professional, uh, corporate and conference speaker, uh, edu- executive trainer and coach, and speaker for Vistage International and the Executive Committee of Canada. Rounding up the panel, of course, is Paul Castor. Uh, is one of the country's leading uh, golf coaches. He's a Golf Channel Academy lead coach and was recognized by Golf Digest as one of the best teachers in New Jersey for 2017 and 18. And he was also honored by U.S. Kids Golf as one of uh, 2017's top 50 uh, kids teachers. Uh, He's a level two certified by TPI, Aimpoint, and K-Motion. And he serves on Foresight Sports uh, Advisory Board and the New Jersey PGA's Junior Golf Committee. Uh, Guys, welcome to Coach's Corner here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks very Thanks much for having me. All right, appreciate it, guys. All right, well, thank you. And, and again, as always, thank you very much for your time. And I apologize, I think my tongue is a little tied tonight. I've slipped up a few on a few of the, the uh, introductions there, but uh, hopefully as the night progresses, I'll, I'll get my chops back. 
Um, as I was mentioning just here off air, we're going to talk about getting prepared for a big event. Um, and it can be, uh, you know, a competitive tournament if you're um, maybe a collegiate golfer, uh, if you're somebody that's waiting, maybe you've got a corporate event coming up in, uh, in a little bit and you want to prepare for that. Uh, or it's just to you, it's a big event and you want to get some good practice in and you want to uh, be sort of cognizant of, of things that you should be made aware of. We're going to try and help you set some goal uh, goals for it and some guidelines of what you need to do to get yourself ready. So, um, Jamie, I'm going to go with you first tonight uh, on this first uh, point. And there's about 10 of them here, and we'll try to get through them as, as uh, we progress through through the hour. Um, one of the things that I, I think is is right from the get-go is to really get familiar with the golf course. Now, obviously you might be in a situation where you've, uh, if it's a, a, a club uh, tournament or something like that, and you're familiar with that golf course, it's a little bit easier to do that. But sometimes if you're playing a corporate event, it may be a golf course that you're not familiar with. So what are some things that you can do, Jamie, that you can suggest to help them uh, get familiar with the golf course, and particularly if they haven't had an opportunity to play it yet. Absolutely, I think a good idea, if at all possible, to uh, to at least get one kind of practice round in. You know, just to see the golf course at some point. Um, and let's say even that you know that before the event, uh, right before the event, maybe you're not going to have time, or there's no way to get on the golf course. If you know where the course is or where the event's going to be, get there a month or two or three before. You know, it's just always helpful to have a little familiarity. Uh, with the course um, <clears throat> you know of course nothing like some course knowledge of course you can buy the little books that they always have them available in the pro shop and you want to study that if you aren't on the golf course and even if you you have had a chance to play it so that you get some ideas I like to get local knowledge <laughs> so that may mean having, right. a, having lunch or dinner with someone a member of the club or someone who do, who does know the golf course and and then get specific. I mean, uh, you can sit at dinner, right, and walk through the 18 holes, and especially with a little book in hand, and uh, with someone who does know the golf course if you don't have a chance to play it. Um, I, I do think that it, it really helps to have uh, – you don't want to be blindsided, put it that way. So there's always right. some things to know about a golf course, and getting around even once is, is really helpful. Obviously, there's something really interesting which is, let's say it is a course that you know well, and maybe we're going to get into this later, but uh, you may have some memories from past rounds or even past events or tournaments there, and those could be positive or negative, right? They can be helpful or, or sort of spook you right. if something bad happened, but yep. we can talk about that um, at another time <laughs> a little bit later. Yeah. Well, exactly right. Well, well said. And and obviously, ultimately, if if you're able to get out to the golf course ahead of time, if it's some somewhere that's fairly local to where you live, um, and you haven't had the opportunity to play it, obviously, um, your best bet is to try and get out there ahead of time. Before uh, you know, sometimes things come up, and and maybe you're not getting a lot of notice. Uh, maybe you're sort of a, a last minute uh, hop on the uh, uh, the tournament ride, if you will, so you don't get an, a lot of time to really prepare. Um, but I think if you can either get in touch with somebody that does have some knowledge about it uh, or get a copy of, of one of the uh, the yardage books or what have you. The other thing too, Jamie, I think, um, and I was thinking about this as you were answering the, the, the question, you know, with technology nowadays, most golf courses, if you go online, they'll actually walk you through hole by hole and give you a description and usually some really good uh, photos of what the holes are going to look like. Um, and especially some of the ones that offer a top view um, of the holes, what they look like. 
and you can get an idea by the yardage. And obviously, if you've played some golf before, you, you kind of know, hopefully, you know your yardage. And we'll talk about that as well. But that's another way, too, that you kind of prepare yourself to get a right. Yeah, you Go know, a lot, of, a, lot of, um, a lot of apps that, uh, you know, Golf Logic, whatever, all the different kinds of apps, they can also give you a good course overview. So you can just go online and uh, go through the go through the holes that way. I mean, there's definitely information right. available out there. Um, that all being said, uh, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I really do like to have the conversation with somebody who does know the golf course. Right. That, and, that, yeah, again, if you can't make it out there personally, by all means, if you can get somebody or get in touch with somebody that does have some local knowledge, uh, you can kind of pick their brains a little bit. Uh, or even, you know mm-hmm. what, uh, I know it's not always easy, but maybe even get in touch with the, the pro uh, to get some insight a little bit uh, that's working at that particular facility. Um, Bill, I'm going to jump to you next, and this sort of falls in line a little bit with what we just talked about, but planning ahead a strategy. Um, so let's say you've gathered some information, maybe you've played on the golf course. Now it's time to put a, a strategy together of how I'm going to approach that particular event. Um, you know, Again, obviously my abilities are going to dictate whether I'm going to be playing a little bit more aggressive or if I'm going to be a little bit more conservative in my play. And obviously it depends on the format uh, that's being designated for that particular round. But um, give us some pointers, if you wouldn't mind, on, on maybe building a good strategy. Yeah, um, a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And everybody, because the perception that people have of, of the way they see shots I find it's uh, it's pretty important that if you're when you're doing your practice round, not to make your game plan from tee to green, but from green to tee. Stand up behind the green after you've played out the hole, while, or while you're waiting for your uh, your playing partners to finish out, and look backwards because sometimes a dead straight hole, playing it dead straight, is not going to give you an opportunity to get as close to the hole or to put the ball in a good scoring position at the green or near the green. So one of the things I, I always recommend to players, because you can see an easy route, dogleg wise, or places that you have to put the golf ball to score your best. And I always like to keep it positive, not saying putting the avoiding places, but putting the golf ball in certain places to allow yourself the best opportunity to score um, as stress free as possible. Um, you know, and the, the second thing is getting to know the firmness and speed of the greens. One of the things, you know, ahead of time, if you, you have a little bit of an idea, you're going to get a lot of breaking putts, work on, work on breaking putts, fast putts, slow putts, whatever that is, try to get yourself that idea. And before the round, especially, give yourself an opportunity, go around the clock, hit, hit six-foot putts, hit four from uphill, hit four from downhill, hit four from right to left and left to right to give yourself an idea of how the speed is taking the break and how you have to do uh, hit the ball to get your perfect holding speed for the day. Right. Well said. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that too uh, in, in a little bit, uh, but, but some great points. I mean, obviously you want to develop some sort of a strategy before you go and play uh, again, gathering some local knowledge. If you're not, uh, didn't have the ability to get out on the golf course before that particular uh, event happens um and, and obviously you know sort of visualizing in your mind how each of the holes are going to be played based on your abilities of course paul i'm going to this is actually a question i'm going to bounce back to, to each of you but i want to uh, give paul uh, the first opportunity at it and, and the obvious thing is if again if time permits um you want to tune up with a golf professional maybe a couple of weeks ahead uh, and depending on how big of an event you may even want to go even a month out if you're not necessarily working with somebody all the time 
that would be a good time to get in touch with your local, uh, you know, PGA or LPGA professional and, um, you know, set up uh, some, some sessions that you can kind of work on some things. So, Paul, talk about that. Um, what, what should people be working on? Um, you know, obviously, we don't want them to reinvent the wheel, per se, but there are some things that maybe you might want to guide um, a player through uh, in, in a, some sessions or even a session in preparation for an event like this. Sure. I, well, I think it kind of depends a lot on the player and their experience and um, the level of competition. Um, and, you know, if, you're, if, if the player is more advanced uh, and we're talking about a high-level tournament, like, a, you know, high-level amateur tournament or state open or, uh, you know, something like that, um, the closer you get to the event, you really don't want to be thinking golf swing very much. And so the preparation right. should be taking place well ahead. Um, you know, golf swing, fitness work, things that, you know, we lay the foundation for months in advance. And then you kind of, uh, as you get closer to the event, you're not making big changes. You're thinking about how to play the golf course, what your shot tendencies are. Um, and you're really focused more on, on performance and not technique. Um, if we're talking about, you know, a, a scramble tournament and trying to get ready to just go out and, and have an enjoyable time with colleagues, uh, then it's, it's kind of a different uh, preparation process. And we're probably going to be focusing on just having some functional ball flight and, and enjoying yourself and making sure that, uh, you know, contact is good and, and your swing feels relatively uh, reliable and, and repeatable. Um, so, you know, I think you really within a couple of weeks of the event probably is not where you want to start working on golf swing stuff um, unless you have quite a bit of time. Um, right. You know, you want to start working on, on those sorts of things further out. Definitely checking in with your teaching professional, making sure that, uh, you know, the things that are kind of patterns in your golf swing um, that you're on top of those and that you kind of understand them and that you're working toward a, a more productive uh, pattern um, is going to be really helpful. And then putting in short game, you know, even the best players in the world are only hitting about 13 greens around. So, uh, you know, we want to make sure that uh, short game feels really good and reliable because it's kind of your insurance policy and it's going to make sure that you're <clears throat> going to enjoy yourself uh, regardless of whether your golf swing is working that day, because um, it doesn't always cooperate. So, right. I guess that's uh, <laughs> well, an answer. Well said, um, Jamie. I'm going to come to you now as well and give you an opportunity to answer this. And I, I just want to say that you know one thing that you know, given that uh, scenario for me, probably, and I would agree with with um, pretty much everything that that Paul has just said. You know, obviously there's a lot of variables and a lot of factors involved, but I think one thing that would be really helpful for a player is really observing and looking at their pre-shot routine. Because as we all know, uh, guys, when we see a lot of students, especially for the first time, most of them, unless they've been working with somebody for a while, have a terrible or non-existent pre-shot routine. And I think sometimes helping them organize that and develop their own unique 
pre-shot routine could be very beneficial. Even if they're not hitting the ball as solid as they'd like to, just having that sort of regimented routine uh, as they're stepping up to each shot sometimes will give them that confidence and that sort of preparedness. What do you think about that, Jamie? And what other thoughts do you have as far as um, coming to, to see, say, someone like yourself maybe a few weeks or even a month out, out of uh, an event like that? I think that the practice of centering is really important. And what I mean by that is that, you know, really kind of getting down into the belly center and the legs and low body uh, into your base that, that creates stability and balance in your swing, um, you know, at a physical level, is also really important at the mental and emotional level. And so, you know, for me, when we talk about routine, uh, pre-shot routine, I mean, uh, the reason that we talk about that and emphasize that so much is that it really helps to uh, the the uh, golfer to create a tempo and a timing and a consistency and a place to focus the mind away from anxiety or distraction or any of these negative kinds of influences. So um, for me, centering is like the basis even of the whole routine. And the first thing, I I call it first things first. (laughs) And um, so it's practicing that sense of, of centering, which is a very physical thing. It helps you to get integrated, have your left and right sides of your body and brain working together, um, be first in your lower body, which gives strength and stability, and then kind of a relaxed uh, looseness in the upper body. From there, it's, you know, how you put your hands on the club or line up your shot, place your right foot, your left foot, you know, um, take your stance, all the things that go into, you know, all the details of a routine. But um, I like to emphasize um, what I think I can bring to your listeners that may be really valuable in terms of routine, no matter what the specifics are, uh, technically speaking, that before anything, first things first, is to be very present and uh, centered and calm in the body, uh, in the body-mind system. Um, so, again, centering helps with that mental focus as well as calming the nervous system and the heart pounding and the sweaty hands and you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, I want to just really bring that into this discussion of routine, uh, pre-shot routine, mm-hmm. post-shot routine, and even the routine of in-between shots. Um, and as right. practice being more and more centered, more and more present throughout um, you know, everything, everything's going to work. And that's the stuff that goes out the window the minute that we start um, maybe having a bad shot or a bad hole or a, a three-putt or a, a bad result at some level. All of a sudden, you know, we speed up and we start tripping out in our head and all of that stuff. So the centering practice and then whatever the actual uh, technique or movements that you settle on in your own pre-shot routine. Um, so I just really want to emphasize that. Now, you know, yeah, no, I agree. Well said. Conversation of of um, of routine and pre-shot routine because I think it's I think it's not something we see or talk about nearly enough. No, you're exactly right, and and I, I agree with that. I think, you know, there's a lot of factors, um, Bill, that go into, um, you know, seeing a local professional before an event like this. There's a lot of things. Many of it we we've just talked touched about here. Both Jamie and, and Paul have talked about, um, and I think one other thing too, and, and I know that that you know she alluded as well to um, the physical side as well as the mental side of the game you know there's a lot of simple things that that can be done I think one of the biggest mistakes that we do see um, for a lot of players that that are entering an event 
um, again, whether it be a corporate outing or, or some other uh, maybe club championship or something like that, they, they start to tinker with their golf swing too much. So they go and see their pro and suddenly they want to reinvent the wheel and then they get and have a terrible event and they wonder why. Um, I think a lot of times too, in addition to what I mentioned about a, a good, you know, formulating a good solid pre-shot routine that's going to help them be consistent throughout the round. I think also getting them loose and stretched uh, and helping with some sort of a physical plan uh, or encouraging them to do things leading up to the tournament. What do you think about that? And then again, throw any uh, additional thoughts that you would uh, want to incorporate uh, if you were seeing somebody a few weeks out. Uh, great points there, Ted. A um, few things that I, I definitely do, and we'll get on to the, the physical uh, part of it uh, in, a, in a moment. Let me just first start with uh, the first thing I do, especially with a player that I haven't seen much or in a while, I'll take them on the course mm-hmm. to play a few shots and a few holes because then we can assess collectively where they are and where mm-hmm. they want to be and where they really could be. So, you know, if we can define those, those areas, we can see the routine. We can see the, if there is one, if it's consistent, if it's not consistent. Um, and really, a lot of folks will come to any coach. i got to get my hit my driver further, um, you know, doing this, doing that, chunking irons, okay. But when it really comes down to it, you put them on the course, the, the sore spot is being able to get the ball on the green, and in the cup in three or less shots from 100 yards. That's where most of the average players run into trouble. And even when you get into better players, you know, focusing on that area. Then getting into the physical a little bit with your – and I, I consider your, your human body one of your pieces of equipment that you need to um, have expert custom fit as well. Part of, mm-hmm. the, part of the problem that I see with a lot of players, it's not just the stretching, it's the nutrition and the hydration. With all the sports right. drinks and energy drinks and things like that, I've, I've found with players over the years that it really, some of those drinks actually dehydrate the player versus just old-fashioned H2O. Um, I think that's a big portion of the, of the physical well-being is even just starting with that. If the player isn't really into a, if they're going for a scramble or whatever, I just feel that making sure the nutrition and the hydration are very good and then, you know, utilizing some <clears> kind of, uh, you know, active motion um, with their body. So their, their body is making the, the proper movement, but it all starts really to me with the nutrition and the hydration. And I think those are two areas that are, are definitely overlooked by most players and even some of the, the, the more elite players to a degree. Yeah. And you're, you're exactly right. I would agree again, a hundred percent with that. Um, you know, when you want to go out sometimes and just have a little bit of fun and, and you're just playing a fun round, you know, you can be a little bit more lax in some of those areas. Um, but if you want to be competitive in an event and you really want to bring your best, even if it's a scramble uh, and you're relying on, you know, your playing partners to, to pitch in um, and you want to do your part, even if you're not a, a very good golfer yourself, there's lots of things that you can do to contribute. Um, but if you're coming up there and you're sluggish and you're tired because you you know, you've been drinking a bunch of soda or you've been drinking some energy drink that's gotten you hopped up for, you know, the first hour, then you're crashing down, you know, the next hour. Um, you know, you're not bringing a lot to, to the uh, the tournament. And, I again, I understand some uh, events, uh, again, if it's a corporate event, it's meant to be fun and everybody uh, unified and having a good time. 
but at the same time, you want to take advantage and get out and really play some good golf and enjoy it and make it a fun experience. And if you're just sort of schlepping around the golf course and low in energy and just not very, uh, you know, uh, with it, if you will, um, then you're really not going to enjoy it and you're not likely going to want to play again. Um, Paul, I want to come to you in this next one. And this is, I'm going to lump kind of two of them together here because they really do sort of fall uh, hand in place. Um, one of the other key things, uh, you know, now we're, closer to the event we've been to see our, our local professional we've got some good tips and some good uh, fundamentals to, to, to really bring to it um, but another problem that we see with a lot of folks is not arriving early enough to get in some practice time so that's key right there number one and also we want to allow ourselves enough time to develop uh, and hopefully with our professional that we've been working with uh, they've helped us and guide us to uh, create an effective warm-up routine prior to that event so uh, just brush across some points if you wouldn't mind. Uh, obviously, we want to get there early, but uh, what you would suggest for somebody tournament day uh, to get prepared? Um, I'm a big fan of uh, getting to the golf course, you know, an hour to an hour and a half before uh, you tee off if you possibly can. And, you know, if this is a, a pretty significant competition, uh you want to give yourself a chance to slow down. Um, I think we all find ourselves rushing a lot more these days. And, you know, Ben Hogan uh, talked about how he used to drive in the right-hand lane and drive 10 miles an hour under the speed limit on the way to the golf course when he, uh, when he went to tournament round. So uh, giving yourself lots of time, giving yourself uh, a chance to kind of, uh, you know, get accustomed to the the practice facility, get to the uh, putting green. And I think the first stop you should make after you register or, or uh, check in is the putting green, because you need to understand what the greens are like. That's one of the big factors that changes from one golf course to the next. Um, Your golf Mm -hmm. swing is going to be your golf swing. Uh, You're going to hit the ball, um, you know, sometimes really well, sometimes not so well, but understanding uh, what the greens are like. And, and um, I teach aim point. So calibrating your aim point read, uh, if you're an aim point user, should be one of the first things you sort of do when you get to a new golf course. Um, and then as far as your warm up goes, I think uh, in a perfect world, having a chance to ride a bike for a few minutes uh, and stretch, um, get warm, uh, loosen your body up would be a, a really kind of an ideal way uh, to get ready. We don't all have that opportunity, um, you know, at a new facility or a place that we're not a member at. Um, but, you know, giving yourself a little bit of aerobic exercise that morning, going through a stretching routine, uh, if it's kind of basic, stretching out your hamstring, your hips, uh, your obliques, uh, core muscles, making sure that you're kind of ready and able to move, uh, very, very important. Um, and, uh, as far as the warm up goes, uh, just kind of not putting a lot of stock in how you're hitting the golf ball, uh, the day of the event, going to the range and just kind of getting loose because you can play really well on the golf course after a really bad warm up, And uh, the warm up really isn't always indicative of, of how you're going to perform. So uh, just trying to get your body ready to play, get out on the golf course uh, and, and try to enjoy yourself and focus on 
the shot at hand, uh, that's really what you're trying to prepare yourself to do. Right, uh, exactly. And, and, and Jamie, I think the other thing uh, on that, and I'm just going to, uh, I want to move on to the next one, but I want to give you an opportunity to, to comment as well. Um, I think the other thing too, that, you know, why you want to sort of get there early a little bit to the golf course. Uh, and I like the point that Paul just made, you know, in reference to Ben Hogan sort of driving a little bit slower. I think one of the key things too, is to sort of find your rhythm. And I think this is what you alluded to with also finding your center, um, but really sort of finding your rhythm for the day. You know, if you're racing to the golf course because you're running late and you're quickening your pace and you're getting yourself out of rhythm, then you're not really very centered. You're not really uh, rhythmic and, and you're out of, out of sync. So, you know, talk a little bit about that if you wouldn't mind um, as well. And, and then the other thing I want to get you to add on to is, and I know we've already touched on a little bit, but uh, on the putting surface as well, the speed of the greens, things that, you know, you might want to do and test there, and even maybe some chipping uh, as well to, to sort of familiarize yourself with some of the, the short game shots. But talk a little bit about, again, not so much the centering aspect of it, but just finding that rhythm uh, in, in using, whether it be through your warm-up routine uh, or just, you know, what your rhythm is going to be for that day. Well, I would absolutely agree that getting there to the golf course early, um, an hour, an hour and a half, whatever it is, um, is, is ideal so that you can have time to, you know, do all the things you need to do and, <clears throat> Uh, you know, in terms of warming up, stretching, um, you know, maybe getting a little bite. People usually have to go to the bathroom, you know, all these kinds of things. you got a budget. <laughs> and it's almost like a pre-round routine uh, is what I think of it as um, in terms of what I do in the morning and what I coach people to do, uh, or you know, before the round. Um, and generally speaking, and I think a lot of uh, tour pros would agree with this, um, put, putting is very important. Uh, getting the speed of the greens. It's also, for me, putting just kind of helps you get set, you know. Um, it's on a great big swing. It, it just gets that backswing, follow-through, tempo, uh, rhythm, evenness set. And then working through the bag, starting um, with some warm-up exercises and then shorter clubs. And what's, in, what's interesting is that a short swing, wedge swings, uh, maybe some chipping, that's really kind of like the, um, the micro <laughs> swing of the macro swing of the uh, longer clubs, which leads up to your driver. Mm-hmm. People who start the other way around can have trouble setting their rhythm, getting in sync, um, may actually hurt themselves, you know, pull muscles a little bit or whatever. So uh, working up through the bag from the shorter clubs to the long clubs is, uh, as I think, probably the best way to go. Um, so, you know, and that, that speaks to, um, even learning the game, you know, from green to tee, shorter, you know, shorter swings, building up to longer. And that having that pre-round routine is somewhat comparable to the pre-shot routine. And so then you know how to get yourself into that centered, synchronized place. Uh, that all being said, uh, things come up, and once in a while, you don't get there on time. And I think we have to be prepared for that right. as well and and not let that send us off into a, you know, a bad place. I think of, um, uh, actually, it was interesting. I talked to Mariah Stackhouse. You know her? She's um, a young African-American player. Yep. She's on the LPJ Tour, and she was a total college standout at Stanford, my alma mater. And when she was a freshman, standing about 5'3", maybe, she's pretty, she's not a not physically a large person. She, she Her spirit's and uh, competitive spirit's amazing. 
but she shot 61 <laughs> as a freshman in wow. uh, you know competitive collegiate play. And so I asked her, like, I wanted to know, what did you do before that round? How did you prepare for it? And she said, oh, I got to tell you, I got to the golf course late, and I just had to rush out there and play. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, it happened to Rory McIlroy, right? I mean, there's some famous instances of right. that. And I think that we have to also be uh, be prepared and to let that be an okay thing or let it, let it be a positive and not just a negative because – uh, sometimes it's what I call playing out of our minds, right? We didn't even have time to mm-hmm. start to get concerned or do all the things that we do. It's like just run out there and play golf. And there have been some amazing examples of just outstanding rounds when people didn't do their pre-round routine or get there with the time in advance. So I just want to toss that in as well. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, that's a fantastic point. And you're exactly right, Jamie, in, in your analysis. I mean, obviously, ultimately, we want to be able to get to the golf course in, in a timely manner that's going to be beneficial uh, to us. Uh, but sometimes, whether it be traffic patterns or, or you know, whatever the case may be, um, or something else happens, uh, you know, the kids get sick with the flu or something, and you've got to uh, do something early in the morning uh, before you, you, you know, get out to the golf course. Um, so, these things can happen and, and you have to be able to adapt. And one of the things about uh, golf is you have to sort of improvise and adapt all at the same time when you get out there. And that includes with your golf game. You know, if you're not playing at your best, rather than letting it get you down, keep your, your uh, emotions uh, in a positive frame, like just say, okay, I'm going to work with what I have at the golf course today. Paul, you kind of touched on that a little bit earlier as well. Um, and, and, and just sort of work with what you've got and don't let it, you know, your emotions and, uh, your thoughts sort of, uh, you know, hold you hostage when you get out on the golf course. And if you're getting there a little bit late, don't kick yourself in the fanny and say, gosh, I'm late and I didn't get a chance to warm up. Just get out there. And, you know, if you've had some practice up and maybe, again, you've worked with your professional uh, weeks prior, just play those, you know, those words that he or she has told you uh, in preparation, uh, sort of in your mind as you prepare to get out to that first tee. But obviously, uh, again, the optimal um opportunity is to get there a little bit earlier if you can, but we understand things happen. Um, uh, Bill, the other thing is, uh, and this is, I think, crucial as well, is knowing and understanding your limitations, uh, which is kind of what I just touched on a little bit. Um, but that's something as well, too, I think, that a lot of people get out there and they try, you know, they saw a tiger or they saw somebody on TV try something, some little funky shot, and they're going to give it a try now. Maybe it's a high flop shot and they're not really that proficient in it. Um, that's not always the best thing to do. So talk a little bit about that understanding and knowing your limitations. That's something that's very key for, you know, every level of player, uh, Ted, as we, we go and look at it. And I, I always encourage people to be themselves. Avoid trying to be somebody that you're not. And that's something that I think is very key to being honest with yourself and being able to, being able to get the most out of your performance. Uh, you know, we see some people – if I take a, a, an Ernie Els and a Nick Price, two ends of the spectrum, a B-minus personality and mm-hmm. an A probably plus, 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 and then cubed personality. Trying to tell Nick Price to slow down isn't going to cut it. You may have to use some words right. with him like be deliberate. Um, gather yourself. Be deliberate. With Ernie Els, telling him to speed up or something isn't right. So even in the preparatory area right. – just being yourself, because when you get out of that little comfort zone, we, we find a lot of times with players, both mentally, tempo-wise, physically, 
they try to be somebody that they're not. And that, and that really, uh, you know, is a recipe for disaster, uh, from the word go, uh, you know, just try to be as, as honest with yourself as you can and, and playing, you know, not necessarily playing the percentages, but playing the shots, you know, you know, if you're a, a left to right player and you're trying to play everything right to left that day, it's probably not going to be, uh, you know, a very good outcome for you that day. Uh, the same way with, uh, you know, trying a shot on the golf course. It never, uh, um, it never really is a good idea to, to try something. You should at least have, have a little bit of a, uh, an experience period with it, especially in competition. Uh, but, you know, at times we, you know, we have to call an audible and uh, as Peyton Manning would do, yell Omaha and, uh, <laughs> you know, try to try to manufacture something because we just don't have nothing else. But, you know, I think the, the biggest key right. is to be true to yourself and be who you are and really avoid falling into trying to be like, you know, a necklace or somebody else. You know, it's, uh, it's you know, going back to the, the warm-up a little bit, Tom Watson in his, in his heyday, in his prime, would warm up. He'd start off with a three-iron, which goes against all, all common thought or, or knowledge uh, that anybody would have trying to do something correctly. But he said, if I hit that one good, the rest of them are going to be fine. Going back to right. you know, Ben Hogan, my old friend Tony Hogan told me a story about him. Hogan would always start warming up with a nine iron. And Tony won the 54 Texas Open and a couple Mexican Opens. And he asked him one time, he goes, why do you start with a, a nine iron? He goes, Tony, have you ever chunked a nine iron? I mean, that's Ben Hogan saying, have you ever chunked a nine iron? So, you know, there again, being true to yourself, I think is a, is a big key that we kind of forget about a little bit, you know, in this whole, in this whole picture. Yeah. And and you're exactly right. And, you know, I think understanding and learning your limitations and and I like the, the analogy. I mean, I've used it myself, you know, when you talk about different players, um, you know, like a Nick Price and and an Ernie Els or even a Freddie Couples in there, you know, if you've got somebody that has, you know, that sort of similar body rhythm, uh, what have you as say a Nick Price? The worst thing that you can do is to try and uh, teach them or encourage them to be like uh, Ernie Els or, or Freddie Couples that has a much slower uh, rhythm and pace to their game, uh, and vice versa, of course. So you have to be very conscious of that. And uh, again, when you're uh, you know rushing around all the time and it's not your normal rhythm, and then you try to take that out in the golf course, uh, it's just a, a recipe for disaster. Um, Paula, uh, something else that sort of falls into place with, with what we've just been talking about, uh, and that is really playing to your strengths. Um, I've played in a lot of different, uh, lot of different. you know, tournaments with uh, individuals who uh, maybe don't drive the ball very well, um, but they're fantastic putters. So again, if you're playing in a scramble format uh, or a best ball format uh, with your group, um, you might be the go-to guy, if you will, uh, if you're you know, proficient on the putting surface. So talk about that as a little bit as well, playing to your strengths and the importance of, of doing that. Yeah, I know it's a little bit similar to the limitations, but um, if you've got strengths, that's what you play and work your game around and, and not focus so much on the areas that you're not as proficient in. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's, it's very important to, uh, you know, understand the role that expectations play and how we perform uh, and build up tournaments in our in our minds, kind of. You know, if you can go uh, and play with limited expectations, 
uh, and understand who you are, uh, maybe in general as a golfer, but also that day, uh, you're usually going to play pretty well and you're going to enjoy yourself. Um, and if you have really high expectations and, you know, your confidence kind of hinges on, you know, the success or failure of every shot that you hit and you're always evaluating yourself, it really uh, can make for kind of a tough day and, and not such an enjoyable experience. So um, making sure that you are, you know what your strengths are, uh, that you, you play to them, that you play your version of high percentage golf, uh, that you pick smart targets uh, based on your ball striking ability, that you pick correct lines off the tee based on what you know your shot pattern is, not what you kind of wish it were, um, is right. <laughs> really so important, you know. Um, and, yeah, I think if you know you're a good short game player uh, and you're a good putter, um, then when you miss a green, you probably shouldn't be too upset about it. Uh and I, I think most of us really shouldn't be too upset about it because the majority of people aren't going to, aren't going to hit half the greens on the golf course really. So um, making sure that you just kind of temper your expectations and know who you are. And I think really importantly, knowing how you feel that day and playing to how you feel, uh, you know, and what you believe your strengths are at that moment uh, are, is really, really key for playing well, enjoying yourself, being in the present, you know, all of that. Well, exactly right. Well said, Paul. Um, I think the other thing that it does too is it gives you uh, a sense of confidence. If you know where your strengths are, again, if it happens to be uh, closer around the short game, whether chipping or and putting, that sort of thing, um, you know, then you're going to play with confidence. If you're not a, a great driver of the ball, then don't focus on that. Um, again, if you're playing in a, in a best ball format, you've got, you know, your other playing partners that hopefully at least one of you in there is going to be a pretty solid uh, driver of the ball. And, and uh, usually you've got a couple in there that are, are really solid iron players as well. So there's lots of, of room for, for error uh, to, and, and also uh, to get some gains as well to capitalize on that. Um, and the other thing too is it, it uses it, and this goes into the next one, Jamie, uh, point that I want to make, and that is um, using that information in that round, uh, whether it be stats, um, you know, areas of the game that you're really, really playing well, um, that you can use for future reference. I mean, the information, and, I, and again, you're there to have fun. I realize that you're not trying to analyze the game uh, or the round to death, but there can be a lot of useful information that you can take out of that that you can use for future uh, tournaments or future rounds that you're going to play. So talk a little bit about that. And, and again, some things that maybe people want to take note of when they are playing uh, again, you know, got to be conscious of slow play and things like that, but there's things that they can do during that round um, about their own game. Even in a best ball format, there's things that you can talk about or, or uh, record if you will, during that round. So talk a little bit about that area. There's a really great expression and it says fail to prepare prepare to fail. Right. <laughs> um, right. So, <laughs> yes, you know, I think uh, it, it's a good, a good short expression and it, it really is useful, I think, in golf for sure and, uh, you know, in our lives. So, you know, fail to prepare, prepare to fail, but uh, prepare to win and, you know, or, or do well and that's what's going to happen. So being aware, I think, 
you know, looking at the rounds, looking at your stats, looking at uh, your strengths, looking at, at areas that uh, could use more work. I think all of that is part of what preparation is. Um, you know, what are your routines, et cetera. What, and I think, you know, as you, you really want to know yourself and know what works for you and then, you know, practice those things basically. Um, put that into your preparation. And, uh, you know, another part of preparation, uh, you know, we want to look at our strengths and, and all of that and um, work on areas that need work. I think that uh, something that's really been fascinating is to focus on kind of mental management or mind mind management during the round and getting better at that. Because I think, you know, in so many ways what happens, uh, you know, on a golf course in an event, and that could be anywhere from a, you know, pretty intense competition to uh, a scramble, right, where you, you, you there's still competition and you want to do well, Um but I think it's in kind of the in, in the moment and in the heat of battle, if you will, uh, being able to manage our uh, our thoughts and our reactions and responses to what does go on on the golf course is really key. So there's kind of when we talk about an inner game, and for me, it's almost like being a ninja. I even talk to CEOs about this, <laughs> being able to self-manage right. ninja right. style, so that. You know, people out there, they don't necessarily even know you're doing anything, but you do. And there's plenty of time on the golf course and in between shots, et cetera, to spend a little time with yourself constantly throughout the round, being aware of what your thoughts are, what your responses are to particular shots or situations or, um, you know, that, that you're in or that your group is in or you and your partner in, depends what the format is. And, um, you know, get good at what you need to do to keep yourself in a – um, in a calm and positive frame of mind so that you can play positively and, you know, pull it back if things start going south, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, again, so much of this is individual in a sense, and that's where it helps to work with yourself, to work with a coach or a pro um, in an individualized kind of way so that you know what works for you and you're able to practice that and get better and better at it. So that's the kind of stuff yeah, that you uh, again, know, I well, I think is important in terms of, of preparation, shall we say, and to know that we really do need to be prepared. Yeah, well said. And, and you're exactly right. I, I think that preparation is key for whatever you do in life, but particularly if you're going to go out in the golf course and you're playing in an event, um, you know, it, it's good to get some practice in if, if, if possible. And, and again, obviously people's schedules today are, are, are very, very tight, and they don't always get as much practice in as they like. But there's a lot of other things that you can do as well. And, Bill, I'm going to give you uh, sort of an opportunity to, to wrap this up with some final thoughts. And, and, and I know everybody sort of alluded a little bit to this, but, you know, getting out there and relaxing, you know, reducing the stress. Um, and, you know, we, we just want to have fun, whatever it is, whether it's a corporate event or it's the club championship. I mean, obviously you, you want to get those competitive juices going. Um, and uh, you might want to think about, you know, one thing that uh, just as, as Jamie was talking about, you know, even in between shots or in between holes uh, when the opportunity presents itself uh, to really help yourself to get centered is maybe do some deep breathing uh, exercise and things like that just to sort of calm and reduce the stress levels down. And a lot of uh, really top tour players do that very, very well. And that doesn't mean that they don't fall off the horse every once in a while, but you will see them do that where they're you can tell they're really not thinking about the shot that's 
uh, initially coming up because they're waiting for their playing partner to play. So talk on that. I mean, we want to have fun when we go to these events. Um, talk a little bit about that if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, very good point there on the breathing. Um, you know, I think that's something that every player can accomplish, uh, whether it's a tour player or a 36 handicap. You know, Tom Watson once said he really never learned to play until he learned how to breathe. And I think that's something that we take for granted a little bit. And, and I can tell you with my elite players, my, especially my elite juniors, we do a lot of breathing exercises and drills um, as we're hitting balls and hitting shots. Uh, to really get used to being able to do that, to get that breath to where it, it, it maintains an even an even pace and an even flow so we're not, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, hyperventilating or going way too fast and too shallow because it really allows you to think better. Um, you know, one thing that's, that's very simple, too, that I, I always mention to players when we go into this breathing exercise is I'll have them put their chin in their chest. I say, okay, now take a deep breath, nose to belly. And they try, mm-hmm. and then I say, okay, take your eyes and look up over the horizon and do the same thing. And it's a night and day difference between those two things, and any player can do this. And I think that's one of the things between shots, during shots, just maintaining that breath can do more to help you, the, the word relax. I think a better word is to focus, to have a channeled focus is a better word to do it, because I think sometimes the word relax can also connote being very sloppy, uh, you know, again, with somebody that's right. a driver personality or a dominating personality, if I say relax, they think you mean, you know, goof off or really not pay attention. So, you know, we can find that focus, that channeled focus with a player and, and have them breathe and breathe the way that they gets them into a good position. <laughs> then we're ready to go because the mind and body will work great. If that breathing isn't right, the mind certainly is not going to work great. And if the mind's not working good, the body's going to fail as well. Yep. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, I'm reminded of a story um, that was shared on my other show, Women of Golf, and Cindy Miller and I, of course, you all know, um, um, host together on Tuesday mornings. And uh, we had a guest on several years back, and, you know, she talked about uh, a conversation that she had with Annika Sorenstam and uh, in preparation to, to play a major tournament, and I believe it was a women's open. And, you know, she said that one of the problems that she was having at that time is she was so focused uh, during her rounds that it was actually exhausting her. And it just happened at that particular time. Uh, you know, she had been recently married and, and um, had uh, bought a home and was planning on doing some um, renovations in the kitchens and things like that. And she said to her, you know, when you're between the holes, you know, maybe think a little bit about some of the things that you want to do in the kitchen. And it seems kind of far-fetched, but the, the, the purpose of that conversation was to let her know that for four or four and a half hours, you cannot be continually focused on everything that's happening out in the golf course 100%. Um, because if you if you've just hit a shot and you're walking up and you're thinking about everything and not taking time to sort of breathe and, and smell the you know roses if you will uh you're going to get burnt out after a couple of hours and it actually served her very well because she went on to win that tournament so um you know it just goes to the point you just said bill is you know sometimes you have to be able to relax and, and not necessarily relax but focus yourself uh, but not be so over focused on the task at hand uh to give yourselves a little bit of opportunity between shots and between holes as well to sort of decompress and 
and to, to get some of that energy um, because otherwise, you know, after a couple of hours, you're just burning yourself out and it's just too much focus and too much uh, attention uh, on the tasks at hand. So you have to give yourself a little bit of a breather, I think, in between and, and, uh, and just enjoy the, the day and, and I think you'll have fun uh, along the way. Um, well, guys, as always, I, I think that was a great, uh, very good discussion. I, I like a lot of the answers that you guys gave. And as always, I'm going to give uh, you an opportunity. I'm going to start uh, with Paul and then Jamie and then Bill uh, to round it out, uh, give you guys an opportunity to let the folks know if they want to reach out and if you've got anything specific that's coming up in the near future that you want to uh, bring to their attention. Well, Paul, you go ahead. Ted, thank you uh, very much for having me. And uh, Jamie and Bill, it was great being on with you. Um, I have a Golf Channel Academy uh, uh, indoor facility here in uh, Little Silver, New Jersey. Um, really looking forward to the next uh, six days. I'm going to be traveling down to Augusta National with uh, one of my junior clients who qualified for the drive chip and putt finals. So I'll be down there with him and his family um, to cheer him on and support him this weekend. Um, and I'll be staying down to play a little bit of golf and, and attend the tournament um, a, a little bit as well on, uh, on Wednesday. So um, my website is paulcastergolf.com. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitter uh, and Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, my handle on, on Instagram is Paul Caster Golf. Perfect. Um, well, enjoy uh, enjoy the uh, the tournament number one. And and Paul, as always, it's a pleasure having you join uh, the panel for uh, these discussions as well. And uh, thanks for for doing a great job. Uh, Jamie, go ahead. You go next. Yeah, have a great time at Augusta, uh, and the drive chip putt is so great. I love working with the kids on that, so that, that ought to be wonderful. Um, Thank people you. People can find me on my website at uh, kiigolf.com, K-I-A-I, golf.com, and I am, uh, you know, I've got uh, quite a few trips coming up um, in just the coming month. I'll be in Southern California, and then I'll be in uh, Seattle. Um, I'll also be back east. So, uh, you know, if people want to get in touch, um, it's always wonderful. I, um, <laughs> you know, it's because I travel and speak so much, I have opportunities to interact with people um, in a lot of different ways and settings. So I just want to let people know that. I'm also increasingly doing a lot of Skype sessions and coaching. And I really have been enjoying that because we can see each other. We can actually, you know, physically do some things. And a lot of the mental game and mind-body game, is uh, very coachable uh, online, mm-hmm. so or you know uh, Skype-wise. Um, so um, really want to encourage people if they're interested in that. Also, a lot of the uh, physical game and uh, how to make your golf club your health club and all of those kinds of things. So um, encourage people. And I, as well, I do as you know, Ted, a lot of business coaching, executive coaching, and golf being the business sport. It's a great tool uh, in the business world. So for those who are interested um, to, you know, work on that some more, I'm, I'm always happy to do that. Um, reach me and leave me a message. And I do personally get back to the folks at 760-492-GOLF-4653. So, um, and I'll also be in Calgary Perfect. soon. So, um, yeah, uh, just uh, get in touch. Perfect. Thank you, Jamie. And certainly last but not least, uh, Bill, how can the folks reach out to you? And I know you're going to be heading uh, northbound here in a few weeks. Uh, you're down in Florida. 
uh, for a little bit longer, enjoying some of the sun and the warm weather, but you're going to be heading back up north. So let the folks out know uh, how they can reach out and when you're going to be heading back. Yeah, thanks for having us, Ted. And uh, Paul and uh, Jamie, it was a pleasure being with you. And Paul, maybe I'll see you Tuesday at the Masters because I'll be in town. So uh, oh, awesome. easiest way, uh, the easiest way to reach me is uh, BillAbramsGolf.com is my website, my email, and uh, and uh, telephone number, direct line are right there. Um, I will be down here in Florida for just a little bit longer, and then I'll be at Balmoral Woods in Crete, Illinois, just south of Chicago, uh, for the balance of the summer months and into October. Um, my Facebook is BillAbramsGolf.com. You can also get me at, at BillAbramsGolf on, uh, on Twitter and then uh, on Instagram. So it's been an absolute pleasure with everybody, and I hope to talk to anybody soon and uh, just reach out if you need anything. All right, appreciate it. Well, uh, Jamie, Paul, and Bill, thank you again always for uh, coming on Coach's Corner. I appreciate it. And until next time, have a great week and enjoy the Masters Tournament. And also enjoy watching uh, the young ladies playing uh, on Saturday uh, in the Augusta Nationals uh, Women's Amateur. I think it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be great for women's golf. So I'm very excited to see uh, these young ladies play uh, uh, for the very first time on Augusta National. So uh, thanks, guys, and I uh, look forward to having you joining me again uh, in the near future on the panel. Many thanks for having us, Ted. Thanks again, Paul, and thanks, thanks for listening, have. folks. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. Great job, as always, Ted, and thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that was the Coach's Corner panel, and uh, great uh, group, Bill Abrams, Jamie Leno-Zimron, and Paul Castor, and uh, you can get them through their social media contacts and uh, definitely a great group to work through. I always enjoy doing the panel. Um, before I introduce uh, this evening's special guest, who has also been on the show uh, over the years a number of times uh, on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, as well as a special guest, um, I want you to listen to a little bit of information about GolfSwing.com, tonight's sponsor. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? GolfSwing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, GolfSwing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, GolfSwing.com's staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at golfswing.com. All right. Uh, again, after the show, go and visit golfswing.com. You can join their online video academy. Uh, very, very uh, reasonable priced. And uh, join their academy. They've got a, a great group of uh, golf professionals from literally all over uh, the place. And uh, they've got literally thousands of great teaching videos and, and uh, uh, specialty video, videos, if you will, uh, on their platform. So go to golfswing.com. All right, as I mentioned, my very special guest tonight is Eric Cogorno. Uh, he is the founder and owner of uh, Cogorno uh, Golf, and he's been on the show uh, not for a little while yet, so I'm very excited to have him back. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then I'm going to bring him on. Uh, Eric, uh, in his more than 11 years as a golf teacher professional, uh, has quickly built a reputation as a highly respected performance golf coach. Uh, he is intuitively able to combine the art and science of golf uh, to design seemingly uh, simple strategies unique to each individual student that lead to significantly improved performance for golfers at all levels. Uh, on a mission to develop more 
uh, engaging ways for people to play and enjoy golf. Uh, Eric's passion for the game and uh, for producing results uh, for his students is contagious. Uh, he believes in working on improving and building skills in all areas of the game and applies that same discipline uh, to his own continuing development as a coach. Uh, his, his unique game-like style of teaching creates an environment uh, where even the learning uh, is addictive. Uh, he's got a great uh, YouTube channel. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, he's born and raised in Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, uh, was a scratch golfer by the age of 15, and he's golfed uh, throughout high school and while attending Lehigh University. Uh, during that time as a competitive golfer, he won numerous tournaments and was twice awarded the Golf Association of Lehigh Valley Player of the Year Award. Uh, Self-proclaimed golf geek, uh, Eric resides in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania and offers instruction at Bethlehem Golf Club as well. So let me uh, join me, if, if you will, and welcome my very special guest this evening, Eric Kogorno. Good evening, Eric. Th- thanks, Ted. That was, thank, thank you. That, that was a heck of an intro, man. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing well. It's been a while. Uh, I was very, very excited when Mary, and please thank Mary for, uh, for arranging this and, and uh, reaching out and, and having you come back on the show. It's been a while since you've been on, and I know obviously many of the reasons why. We're going to talk about a few of them tonight, but uh, welcome back. You were on, I remember, I know it's been a few years, but you were on a few Coaches Corner panels, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, I miss you, man. I miss you. A lot, a lot has changed uh, <laughs> since then. Obviously, you had a little chat with, uh, with Mary, but no, I'm happy to be back. I, I appreciate you having me. Not a problem any time. Um, so I want to talk about, let's, let's go back uh, a little ways. I know you're younger than I am, but uh, you're, you know, you've been playing for, for a long, long time. Uh, and I know you've been teaching for a while. And we'll talk about that as well. But um, talk about really how you got into the game, uh, not as a, as a teacher professional, but how you got introduced to the game. Uh, what was sort of the, the initial uh, impression, if you will, and, and uh, how old were you when you, when you first started? Yeah, so I, I started playing, I think, probably like a lot of us, where we had a, a loved one or someone close to us who played um, that we would tag along with. And for me, that was my dad. So, uh, you know, when I was growing up, mm-hmm. most of us you usually kind of look up to your dad like, like they're Superman. And um, that's, that's how it was with my dad for me. And he happened to golf on the weekends, you know, every weekend uh, with, with his friends. And so, you know, me looking up to my dad, wanting to spend time with him, was kind of like, hey, you know, take me along with you. I want to come hang out and play. And, uh, you know, I had right. played sports growing up and played baseball, basketball, football. And um, he, uh, I remember he got me a, uh, got the initial little set of clubs. I was probably maybe like 10 years old at this point. And uh, he handed me this little like Ray Cook uh, pitching wedge, little cut down pitching wedge. And um, we, right. we had a big backyard and I hit, I, I took a swing and I hit the ball and it was right down the middle Ted and I thought, son of a gun, this is an easy game. I got this down pat, no problem. <laughs> and um, just about every swing from there has been, uh, been going in the opposite direction. No, but, I mean, from about 10 years old, I started playing um, with, with my dad. And uh, once I got a taste of going able to play, and I loved it, and I, I wanted nothing more than to be able to just play with my dad and his friends and got a little taste of what that was like. And then that turned into, hey, you know, I'd kind of like to be able to beat my dad and um, that, that was right. a couple year, uh, year process didn't, didn't take me too long, but, um, a couple of years after that started, uh, started, uh, beating my dad and that gave me a little more motivation. And a couple of years later we were playing in tournaments and in college and here we are now talking to you. Yep. Um, you know, it's interesting cause it's very similar to, to, uh, my story as well. My father, uh, took me out a little bit younger than that, but, uh, probably around the age of seven and, 
Um, you know, he took me to the driving range first just to, to sort of show me a few uh, pointers here and there and then got me my first set. And a lot of it was cut down uh, irons and things from old sets that he had had. So, uh, you know, I was a little bit older before I was able to actually go out and buy my own uh, true uh, first golf set, if you will. But a uh, very similar story to that. Uh, obviously played with my father and, and enjoyed that. And it was just a way of, uh, you know, really bonding with your dad. And, and uh, it was uh, something he was very passionate about. So I, I uh, understand exactly uh, where you're coming from on that. Um, the other thing that's very interesting, and we'll, we'll get into sort of the business side a little bit in a moment, but um, another point I want the listeners really to understand too is you actually began giving golf lessons very young. You were a teenager, in fact. Obviously, you were, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a scratch golfer by pretty much the age of 15, so you're obviously very accomplished uh, um, individual as a golfer. Um, how and why did, did you uh, start teaching? Yeah, so I I started working at the course picking balls, um, I think maybe illegally. Hopefully we're past the point of any sort of uh, legal ramifications here, but I think maybe when I was like 14-ish. Um, and uh, I started picking balls, was in school, um, you know, the old, I don't know, six bucks an hour type of deal back then. And um, right. pick, picking balls into high school. And, you know, I always tell the story. It's, it's one of those things, Ted, where, like, you have these events where you can remember them vividly as if they happened yesterday. And, and, and for me, th- this was one of them. I, I was picking balls, and I remember uh, we had just gotten paid. We got paid on Thursdays. And I, I don't know how many hours I worked at, maybe, maybe uh, 10 hours or something at that point, 15 hours. And my paycheck after taxes was, like, 57 bucks. Right. And I'm like, right. I don't know, I'm 15 years old. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. It's a couple of meals, whatever. And one of the assistant pros came in, walked in the pro shop and sort of offhand made the comment that he just gave a golf lesson and made 50 bucks. And, and, and I knew his lessons were, were half hour. And so, right. you know, I'm not a genius or anything, but I did some, some kind of basic math <laughs> there and said, well, well, 50 bucks an hour is a lot better than six. Right. And, um, right. and, and that's really where it started. I, I, I wish I could say I started because of the love of the game or I started because the love of, you know, I really wanted to help people, but to be brutally honest about it, it was just a math thing. Right. And, yep. um, and so, yeah, that was, that was probably, I was 15 when that happened. And so right there in that moment, I knew I wanted to teach instead of pick balls. Um, and it took me maybe like a year and a half to two years to kind of make that an actual thing. Um, but I, I started teaching early. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it's interesting because everybody sort of has a different story of how they got in. Obviously, some, you know, maybe were, were brought into a family of golf professionals and, you know, they wanted to sort of follow suit. And others have a similar story to what you had is just, um, you know, they, they didn't really necessarily get into the golf business per se uh, when they were younger, but were exposed to it in some way. And, and uh, obviously, you had a very unique situation. And, and, you know, I don't play me, uh, you know, you can make $50 in an hour or you can work another 10 and make, you know, $57. So it's kind of a no brainer and I don't blame you one bit. And obviously, as we can see uh, from today of, of how things are going for you, that it was a very wise decision. Um, and I want to talk about something too, as, as again, we shift into sort of the business side of things here. Um, back in 2000, 2007 and 2008, obviously, you know, we went through a recession here in, in the U.S. and really around the world. Uh, and, and you sort of redirected, you, you obviously taught uh, golf for a number of years and that beforehand, but uh, you decided to make a little bit of a shift in your strategy. Um, tell us a little bit about what that shift was. 
Yeah, so I, when, when I graduated um, college, I had done fairly well in school and, and did decent at golf, and I um, had a scholarship to go play at Lehigh, which is a you know, pretty good academic um, school up here in the Northeast, Northeast and um, had this plan of going to Lehigh, going the finance route, you know, New York City, um, the stockbroker type of, type of deal. That was kind of the route that you, you took from the school that I came from, go to Lehigh and do that. And my first right. year of college, right, I, I, I go to this recruiting and I'm meeting all these guys that are graduate MBAs, you know, six-figure jobs out of school, everything's beautiful. And my first semester of school is in the 2007-2008 when the economy collapses. So yeah, <laughs> um, it kind of went from this, you know, here's my plan of, um, you know, four years in school, MBA in a year and a half, there we go, to these guys are graduating with, you know, some of them $300,000 worth of debt and literally can't get a finance job. Um, and so that was really eye-opening, I think, at that moment of, um, hey, I need to have an alternative plan here, right? Like, I, I don't want to be in a situation where uh, I, I can't find a job afterwards. And, you know, like we said, I started teaching early. So at that point, I had been teaching for a couple of years. And as you are, when you start teaching, I was absolutely god awful in the beginning, but you kind of get some, you get some kind right. of clients out of just you can speak to people and personnel, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, I, I, I think I started teaching maybe at like $30 an hour. I was too scared to charge that, that 50. And then you kind of bump your way, right. uh, you bump your way up and yeah, it was kind of like, Hey, if, if I, if I spend all of my time here building this, this teaching business and getting really good at coaching, which is my first part, how do I get really good at this coaching thing? you know, can I build this into something that would be as lucrative as the finance route without having to do the office right. 80 hours a week and, um, you know, be semi-miserable. So it was really a powerful kind of shift that that with the economy happened kind of a nice time for me before I got too deep into the, into the finance route. Now that's me saying this, um, I'm enjoying myself talking to you. Maybe I went the finance route. I could be making $10 million a year now. So may, maybe it didn't go good, but from my mind, uh, things, things <laughs> turned out well, uh, pretty okay though. I think you're having a lot more fun now from what I've seen uh, than I think you would have the other. Uh, you might have had a little bit more money in your wallet uh, and in your pockets, but uh, I don't think you would have uh, enjoyed things as much. Um, you know, I always believe when it comes to passions and dreams, if you chase the money, um, you're chasing the wrong thing. You have to have, you have, to have passion uh, about whatever you're doing, and uh, you know, you've obviously developed that. And, and here's something I want to talk about because really what you've done um, with with your you know your business model now is is sort of a strayed from what traditionally most people think of when they talk about golf professionals and I want to sort of set this up and then I want you to to follow on from that um, you know traditionally you know it was sort of the in person one on one type golf lessons and you've sort of really come at this at a, at a very unique time in in, in uh, in the golfing industry because everything is now coming online, just like this program is online now. Um, and you really had some foresight to see that, okay, you know what? Um, yeah, I love giving golf lessons, you know, at, at the course and it's great. Um, but you know, there's other opportunities. So you actually developed, uh, uh an online, uh, platform, if you will, uh, creating everything from online videos and video products to instruct, Talk about what the sort of the mental process was. How did that come about, and why did you feel that was a direction you needed to go? 
Yeah, I think the same sort of mindset that figured out, you know, the $50 an hour is better than the $6 an hour um, could mm-hmm. could kind of come to a point that, you know, I, I, I love this teaching. I, I, I really do enjoy spending time with people, but me giving one-on-one personal lessons obviously is not scalable. You know, I can only teach a certain amount right. of hours per week. I get one person at a time. I can kind of do some basic math there. And um, not, this, this is sounding like I'm all about the money, which I'm not, but I want to optimize things. Right. And, um, and um, so, I, you know, that, that started with, hey, how, how do we – how do we scale this thing? How do we grow beyond me with one other person for one hour? And in the beginning, what the next easiest thing to do would have be have two people for one hour or three people or four people. So I would just scale it into what a lot of golf pros would do, which would be work in groups. And that was good. You know, that worked. Income got better. Money got better. I was able to still help people, um, but I could kind of scale my efforts to more people. But then still – Right, Ted, how many how many people can you teach at one time? There's a limit to how big the group can right. be. And so right. you know, how do you how do you scale scale that bigger? And so um that's kind of where the YouTube idea came of uh unfortunately for us, the with the online, it's it's you can scale it as much as you want, right? It's sort of unlimited. So um I wanted to right. wanted to do some some YouTube and, and grow my audience online. I spent about uh, eight or nine hundred bucks on a camera. Had absolutely no idea what I was doing, and fortunately, um, sort of man- randomly met my now business partner Mary Langle um, as she came in for for a lesson, and uh, she had seen me coaching a couple of the uh, the kids that were around and said, "Hey, you have really something uh, cool going on here. Let's talk about maybe building something." So it was sort of a perfect timing and a perfect um, sort of fluke of a situation for her coming into a lesson, which now has blossomed into. Um, this business model, and we started doing the the YouTube videos as we can talk about. And um, about two years uh, into that, we we met some guys from a company called Dormied, uh, which we partnered with to make our our instruction site, which is our, our membership site at KagornoGolf.com. So, yeah, there, there was a lot of kind of pieces that lined up for it to um, to work from that original idea of how do we scale scale this beyond just a one on one golf lesson, right. And the reason why I wanted to mention that is, and we're going to talk about this specifically here in just a moment, but, you know, one of the things, Eric, that, you know, we see a lot of um, coaches now, teacher pros, you know, doing online video and and things like that, that's become a big thing right now. Um, But I've seen a lot, and and again, I mean no disrespect to some of your fellow professionals out there, but um, some of them are, are quite good. Some of them have got great business models of their own. Uh, but there's a lot of repetitiveness and really not getting to the to the heart of things, and you know they offer um, membership sites, but what you're offering is really different from again from some of the traditional sites. Uh, it's not just a video library. Um, you're actually developed a yeah. structured learning uh, daily interaction through uh, obviously social media platforms like Facebook, which is a, is a great uh, platform to use. Um, again, talk a little bit about that. You, you've taken a, a sort of a step further than sort of your, your traditional online video academy. Yeah, I, re- I really wanted to do the, the uh, b- beyond the YouTube, you know, the, the YouTube videos for us really allowed um, me to, and us to grow the audience. And, and I think really allow people to get to know me um, and us do enough with, with the videos where I can really help people. The problem with the YouTube though was that the videos are always generic. I can do a fix a slice video, right. 
but is that fix this slice going to fix your personal slice? And the answer is sometimes yes, sometimes no. And so what we really wanted to do with the site was make it more personalized. How do you do a generic general video, but also make it personalized enough where if you were watching it, Ted and I was watching it, it would still apply to um, the, the both of us. And the reality is that's almost impossible to do, right? You, you have to have some personal right. interaction. I got to know a little bit about the person watching the video. What do they want to do? Where are they at, et cetera. So um, instead of us just having this video library, which we have video you know, training course and stuff on there, we include a Facebook group on there where the, the members can post their swings on there and I can see their swing and guide. I and mean, that's, that's really the huge difference. Like if I can, if I can see someone swing and know a little bit about where they're at, it's then really easy for me to guide them in the right direction. But if I can't see their swing right. and I'm just going off base, you know, what they say, then it's, it's a little bit like flipping a coin. So that, that really, I think has been a differentiator uh, for us. Yeah, and and you know, Eric, you raise a very interesting point because this is you know talking about that sort of generic um, fix, if you will. One of the big problems that the golf industry has experienced for, and you know this yourself from being in, in it for a while, um, is too many of the instructors sort of put everybody in one box. Um, you know, everybody's got a unique swing. Everybody's built differently. You're built differently from me, and you know there are certain fundamentals that you can um, generally you know, sort of guide people into that direction. But again, there is a certain amount of uniqueness involved uh, in that person's golf swing. So if you're, if you're putting out videos, that's great. But if they're sort of a generic-based video, um, they might work for you, they might work for me, um, but Bob down the street here isn't going to get necessarily something out of it, so he's going to lose interest. And you've sort of created um, a way, uh, again, through that interaction of more personalizing, if you will, the experience for the individual. Uh, would that be pretty much accurate? Yeah, well, that's one one hundred percent perfect. That's it's it's not it's making the videos not generic, but also then um, me being able to do a video on just use the slice fix thing again and say, hey, for you, Bob down the street, like here's the parts that are relevant to you. Here's the parts that aren't. And then e- even within that model, as you mentioned, I mean, different body types, different mindsets all kinds of different backgrounds. It's even got to go more personalized than that. So if, it, if, if someone's getting a cookie cutter plan or a cookie cutter idea, it, it, it is, it's like flipping a coin. It needs to be personalized for it to be actually work long-term. Yeah. And I, I just want to add one more thing before we move on too is, and, and I, and I think I already know the answer to this, but and it's probably very similar to me is I don't subscribe to one sort of method, if you will. I mean, we hear a lot of some of these top, you know, 100 teachers and that that are out there that are, uh, you know, the stack and tilt and they're talking about this and they're talking about that and they're trying to train everybody to play the same type of golf. And uh, again, it might work for some, but there's a lot of folks out there that it may not apply to. And that's an area I think that the golf industry is starting to, to realize you're not doing that here. I mean, you might, um, you know, have some specific movements and things that, that may be incorporated in some of these different methods that are out there, but you're not trying to apply that to everybody's uh, golf game uh, again um, you know trying to make it unique and and uh, applicable to everybody um, which is a big mistake that the, the industry has done for a long time and I think they're starting to realize that now um, and again I, I think I would be correct in that right you're not trying to um, utilize one specific method you're trying to um, really drive the point home that Bob or whoever you're dealing with is again unique and different in his or her makeup 
and you're trying to customize something for that individual. That, that, that's exactly right. I think there's, there's, a, there's probably a, a handful of kind of fundamental things like any skill that are pretty important, but within those fundamental things, there's going to be individual characters. So it's, it's, yeah, it's 100% Ted about the, the personalization of everything. Right. And, and yeah, and that's why I wanted to mention that. Um, something else too, that uh, is interesting. I want to mention uh, again too, that before we move on is, is another uh, addition access point to golfers is your live rapid fire show on uh, your YouTube channel that you mentioned every Monday nights at 5 PM Eastern. Talk a little bit about that. What happens on that program? Yeah, yeah. So we do a uh, we we it's kind of Mary and I's uh, initial uh, attempt at doing a doing a golf show. What we do is, as you said, every Monday um, on YouTube, we go live. It's it's 5 p.m. We call it Rapid Fire Golf, and basically what it is is um, you can go on there and, and you ask golf questions, and I rapid fire answer them. Right. So you know, usually when we when we're on there, I mean, I don't know how many questions I go through, but we go through an hour, and I literally feel it, I'm sure it'll feel like you and I talking out, it literally feels like it takes like five minutes. Um, so it's, it's right. ask any kind of questions you want. I mean, most, most people that are on there will ask swing specific questions for them. <clears throat> and then um, I'll go through and I'll, I'll give, uh, I'll give them answers. And it's kind of like a 10 to 30, maybe one minute long answer at most per question. And it, I think it's a really a good way for us to, um, you know, I, we, we might have 45 ish thousand subscribers now at this point, we're, we're growing pretty quickly. I mean, we have maybe, Two, we're probably getting two to 300 new subscribers every day on YouTube. So it's really, right. it's really growing fast. And uh, what we want to make sure we do is I want people to know me and be able to talk to me beyond just the videos that we put out. So I think it's a nice way to bridge the gap with the audience and them to kind of ask specific questions again, to kind of personalize, Hey, here's this video on this topic, but does this apply to me? Is this applicable to me? How do I use this? So that's, that's kind of the idea around that. Yeah, and let, just to let the listeners get a, an idea of what you're talking about as far as growth, um, when Mary and I set this up, which was a little over a month ago, I think it was close to two months ago, um, obviously I, I like to do a little bit of research when I have guests on, and even though I've had you on the show in the past, um, a lot has changed since you've been on, so I wanted to do a little research, and your YouTube channel at that time was around, if I'm not mistaken, about 36, 37 subscribers. Um, when I was on there the other day, which was just within the last couple of days, it, I think it was either just at or just over 46,000. So um, you're exactly right. You're really getting a lot of growth on that. And obviously, you're providing great content. Um, it's very professionally done, number one. Uh, and obviously, you know, you have to have knowledge about the product and or service that you're offering. So that's uh, important as well. But what are some other things that you think have uh, helped? I mean, obviously, <laughs> Mary's helped you as well. Uh, get that word out there. But what are some other things do you think have been critical to really developing the success of this channel? Yeah, obviously Mary has been instru absolutely instrumental. And in I mean, me without her in the beginning is it, none, none of this stuff comes to light. So having her and, and having her with me to do the videos um, has been absolutely huge. I mean, that's by far the biggest part, but beyond, beyond that part, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, the reality of it, Ted, is we did videos for probably 15 months and really no one watched. Yeah. Like we had, yeah, right. I don't know, maybe 700 subscribers. Like literally last last May, we had maybe 700 subscribers, you know, and that's right. not that long ago. So, I mean, it's, it was it was really just sheer determination and discipline of posting for 15 months and not quitting. 
Uh, I think it's really right. hard to get past that initial bump until kind of any, anyone, anyone kind of watches. That was huge. I think obviously Mary's editing ability and the quality of the videos has gotten a lot better. The cameras that she got has gotten better. The quality of the videos is really night and day since we started. I think my ability to communicate and, and um, keep things relatively simple in the videos has helped. Um, and then, and then it's just kind of been, been, uh, you know, snowballing. I think, I think, um, Right. I think now the growth that we're seeing is kind of the work really that's been put in over two years that's um that's kind of just now coming to fruition. Yeah. And it's like anything, you know, you're you're building a brand, you're building an identity. And first and foremost, I mean, you have to be um you know, people have to have a certain comfort level with you. I mean, they have to feel like obviously that you're knowledgeable, which you are, uh, about your product uh and or service that you're offering. Um, but you have to be somebody as approachable. And uh, again, I, I mean, no disrespect to, you know, our fellow pros out there, but there are some that just don't have that um, way of communicating through their videos. It's just very bland. It's very, um, they're certainly very knowledgeable about their, their sport uh, and their game, but they're just not uh, the way that they, they um, you know, put it down on, on film, if you will. It just doesn't come across, doesn't resonate. So you're not going to get that. And and it is perseverance. It's the same when I you know first started this show. I mean, this I'm in my seventh season now with Golf Talk Live, and it was the same thing for me, just through uh, determination and, and uh, posting. And and you know, I'm sure some people get sick of seeing it, um, but you know, it served me well over the years. And you know, here I'm seven years later. So you know, um, and it gets to the point now I don't even have to ask for guests anymore. Guests come to me. So. That that's what really makes it exactly. nice, but um, yeah, and I think that that's great. Um, you know, the way you're doing it, you have to. Again, it goes back to what I said to you earlier, Eric. Is you know, you have to be passionate about what you do, and I think if you really truly enjoy what you do, uh, and you wake up every morning and say, you know, what can I do today to to help some people out there, and and how can I really you know get the message out there that I want to get, and you come up with and kind of brainstorm with your partner and things like that. Um, you're, you're going to see the results, and it's not going to happen overnight. And you know, uh, one time you had 700 subscribers, now you're, you know, you're pushing upwards of, of you know, soon to be 50,000 and then beyond. So I think that's great work on both parts, both yours and, and obviously kudos to Mary as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about golf and uh, and golf improvement. And we touched a little bit about it, but um, talk again a little bit more about the feedback uh, to golf improvement, meaning. Uh, an instructor looking at your swing and or uh, using video mirror, et cetera. Um, you know, as a student out there, you know, that feedback is critical. Talk a little bit about that and, and the relationship that you're developing through your, um, you know, your academy, if you will, uh, about giving that feedback, how important that is to the students. Yeah, I guess I'm seemingly on a, and, and kudos to you for, for the seventh season. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's tremendous. I think it goes the same way of like, you know, and I will get into what you just said there, but I mean, you, like I recognize too that like I have the chops to be on camera and then I can communicate and you have to have some charisma. Like not a lot of golf pros could do the show you do, right? Like not a lot of guys could right. host the show. It's not, it's not something that, you know, just, it is what it is, but not everyone can dunk like LeBron James. I mean, that's, that's, um, that's part of right. the, the deal. So kudos to you too. I think that's uh, what you've, what, what you've built here is, um, is, uh, is awesome. So feedback wise, I've been, I guess, on like kind of a crusade the past couple of months um, of feedback, and it really stems and roots from 
the idea that um, I tried to fix my swing and change my swing and improve for like literally a decade and my swing didn't really Mm -hmm. change at all. And in kind of going back and looking at what did I do to try and now, like, I, I mean, I, you get better by pure volume, right? Like, I mean, I got better, blah, 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 but I didn't really improve at the rate that I should have relative to the time I spent. And so I think in, right. in going back and looking at that and saying, what could I have done different? What do people do in different sports or industries that actually make change? And the one glaring issue was feedback. And what I mean is I gave myself literally no feedback ever, right? I would go to the range, I would hit balls, and if I hit it good, I kept doing what I was doing with no idea what I was doing. And if I hit it poorly, I would try and think of something to change it and hit it good in the moment. And then I just would rinse and repeat that same cycle. And uh, I think that's what's fundamentally wrong with what people do with golf. And you would literally never do that in anything else, but that we seem to, to do that in golf. You wouldn't show up to a business and say, well, I hope I make money today and we're going to just wing it and see what happens. And we're never going to check the accounting. Like you would never do that. You would give yourself feedback in anything else you would do. Right. And the same thing applies with a golf swing. And it's way more important in a golf swing because when we stand there and we make a swing, you and I both know, what we feel like yep. we're doing when we're swinging, we aren't actually doing. And right. that is inherently true. There is no, there's no getting around that. That will never change. And so if we accept that as true, what we need to know is not only what are we supposed to feel, but we need to know what we're actually doing so that we can change what we're feeling. And the only way to know what you're doing is through feedback. And probably under 1% of golfers actually give themselves feedback when they're practicing. Um, 99% Mm -hmm. probably do not. And then of that 1% that do give themselves feedback, do they even know what they're looking for, what they're trying to do? And that's really the gap that I'm trying to bridge is to say to you, hey, Ted, if you actually want to get better at golf, your golf swing, we can definitely do that. You need two things. Number one, you need to know exactly what you're supposed to work on. I can help you with that. And then number two, you need a lot of feedback in your practice and deliberate practice to ensure that you're doing it and not just going out and guessing. And what people do is, is they go guess, and then they don't get as good as they should. And that is a humongous problem with people not getting better at the game of golf, feedback and lack thereof. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, you know, and we're, we're talking about practice here in, in a second you know, that's something that has always, I think, frustrated um, a lot of us in, in the profession is, you know, we try to, you know, give good feedback to the students, but if they're not, you know, adhering to the information we're giving them and they're just sort of showing up for the lesson, you know, haphazardly, they're never going to improve. And obviously there's practice involved and uh, there's a commitment. And I think if you truly want to, you know, and I, I'm sure you see, even to this day, you still see a lot of it, but I'm sure very early on when you first started with your instructions, um, you know, you get a lot of people out and say, well, I'm slicing the ball. What, what, have you, what, what can you do? Or, you know, I'm doing this with a driver and that, what can you do? And they're looking for that Band-Aid or that quick fix. And the truth of the matter is, if you want to really become a better player, and that doesn't mean you're going to make it out in the PGA Tour or LPGA Tour, um, but if you truly want to become a better golfer, 
um, then you, there's a commitment that you have to make on both sides, both the student side but also the instructor side to make sure that the information we're giving them uh, is pertinent to their needs but also uh, is giving them the right kind of feedback and then formulating a, a good game plan with that feedback. Um, and this brings me to practice. Um, you talk about frequency versus duration when it comes to golf practice. What do you mean? Yeah, I think with any skill, frequency trumps duration, meaning if you were going to hit a uh, 150 golf balls uh, in one week, you would be better off hitting 30 balls per day over five days instead of those 150 balls in one day. Um, and and the, the, the kind of doing it day after day after day after day after day at smaller amounts proves to improve a skill much greater. There's a lot of science and a lot of literature that backs that up, but um, on my own experience, that proves to build a skill much better than, you know, everyone – what's the typical practice, right? Once a week for an hour at the range is what people will – what I hear all the time. And, um, you know, in fact, right. in 20 to 30 swings every day, you could get a lot done if you're deliberate. And so I think shorter right. burst, um, you know, more focused, deliberate, uh, less total golf balls, and, and, and setting a game plan, Ted. Like what, if someone's going to go in there and practice – like say, Hey, I'm going to hit 30 balls, no matter what, whether I hit them good, bad, or indifferent, here's my plan. I'm going in, I'm hitting 30, I'm getting out. A lot of stuff can start to go downhill when you get to the 30th ball and it's not going good. And you start guessing and checking and mm. trying to fix them, get in 30 balls, right. get out and then do the same thing the next day. Yeah. Um, you're, you're exactly right. And I know even from my own self, you know, years ago, um, obviously I don't get to play as much as I, I used to um, for a variety of reasons. I'm busy with the shows and things like that. But um, but a lot of it was even at home, you know, sometimes if I couldn't make it at the range, I kind of set myself in a situation where I could do certain things. Obviously some things I couldn't, but I could do certain things at home, uh, you know, working on my fundamentals and things like that. I can do it in front of a mirror if I need be. Um, and, you know, even if people would do things like that, um, instead of just, you know, up in the Northeast, they're hibernating for several months, and obviously, uh, you know, I understand that, um, but they don't do anything for four or five or six months. Then they come out in the, the golf course, and they get in front of the instructor, and they're saying, okay, well, I want to pick up where I left last year. I was playing pretty good by the end of the season, and they've done nothing for four or five, six months, and they're expecting you to, to you know, you know, get the old cauldron out and whip up some magical sauce that's going to, uh, you know, improve their game and you know i'm right i mean it's true um so what do you say to somebody like that what you know what do you say at the end of a season let's say let's take this uh, you know a little bit more literal what do you say to somebody at the end of a yeah. season that maybe is in a, in a climate where you are um maybe they don't have access to an indoor facility um what would you say to them okay you know again we'll pick on bob but you know bob here's what i would recommend you do uh you know in the off season uh at, you know to get prepared for for next year yeah, I, I would say, listen. There's going to be there's going to be a natural dip in an off season, right? And that's and and that sure. that is what it is. Now, if you if you want to be as ready as you possibly can be, which isn't going to be where you left off, but if you can be as ready as um, we we want to be, for sure, you can do um, practice at home. I think a couple of things would be relevant. Um, I, again, I think frequency over duration. It doesn't take a lot to make 20 swings. You know, we're talking 15 minutes, maybe. Um, uh, you, to me, you must have a golf ball present. Now that could be a foam mm -hmm. ball or a wiffle ball. Um, one thing that I've right. I've kind of found true is that the return on investment of practice without a ball is extremely low. 
Um, the mm-hmm. return on investment with practice, even if it's a wiffle ball or foam ball, like maybe it's hitting a wiffle ball into a net at home or hitting a foam ball into a wall, but making swings without a ball is just not going to transfer when the ball is there. Just uh, at least I don't know how to do that. So I would say um, a ball yeah. would, would need to be present and then, um, and then frequency of it and then just and scale expectations and, and, and identify priorities. Like if, if Bob mm-hmm. did 30 swings a day on, and, and he, let's, let's say Bob hits a slice and he does 30 swings a day and he reads, you know, watches a video, reads a tip and he's trying to get his right elbow in front of his body and shift his weight more. But Bob's got a wide open club face that he doesn't fix. Then Bob's still got a slice next year, right? We, 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 we still have right. the same problem. So he's got to identify what he needs to work on, actually work on the correct thing. And then, you know, just, just scale his expectations. I think if he's, if, if the golfer someone who's, looking to like make a huge improvement from one season to the next and play in tournaments or something like that, then they need to approach their off season much more serious and spend more time. If it's someone who's looking to kind of just maintain what they had before or make minor improvements, then I think more maintenance practice during the winter would be okay. Right. Right. I agree. Um, you know, I always believe that, you know, you practice with a purpose um, just to go to, as you suggested mm-hmm. earlier to, you know, um, and, and practice for an hour or two hours at, at the range, you know, even if you hit all the stations, um, but then you don't practice for another week or two um, and do anything, um, you know, all that's for naught. I mean, you're going to, you're certainly going to have, and, and also fatigue sets in. I mean, if you're out there beating balls, and this is a big thing I see all the time, you know, when you go up to the, to the range and, uh, you know, on the practice tee and you're seeing people just raking and hitting balls, raking and hitting balls, and then they get out in the golf course and uh, they wonder why, you know, the ball's all over the place. You know, why are they you know, hitting the green like they did, you know, in the practice uh, setup? And it's just because they don't know how to make that transition. So, uh, you know, that's another thing, too, that obviously I know when you're teaching, obviously when you're doing your online and your YouTube channel, things like that, you're talking about these different things. But when you're actually working with your students, that's something that you try to get them out in the golf course you know, uh, fairly quickly too, uh, I would assume just to, to get that real on course experience because, you know, working at the range for an hour or two all the time, uh, is not going to make you a better golfer. It certainly will help maybe your ball striking, but you got to now put it all together when you get out in the golf course. So you try to do that as well as take them out in the golf course. Do you do a lot of that still, or, or are you, uh, working on other things? Yeah, absolutely. I think just the same way, Ted, like, for you on this show, you, you you could practice a show, practice show, practice show, but until you have someone on here and you're in the fire, it's just it's it, it's just not yep. quite the same. I could learn how to drive a car perfectly in a parking lot, but until I get out on the road and I'm in the action, it's just it's it's just completely different. So, you know, I think that number one, you can bridge the gap um, between the range and the course if you practice smart, which is um, at, at some point I usually recommend at the end of the range session. Let's say you were going to hit. Uh, maybe maybe 50 balls or whatever you're going to do. You do your warm-up first. You do your mechanics uh, mm-hmm. immediately after that. And then you do your skill and game-like stuff at the end. So that could be, you know, 10 balls, um, switching clubs on every ball, switching targets, full routine, as yeah. similar to the golf course as humanly possible. And that's where you're gathering mm-hmm. your fields you're going to play with and you're, and you're transferring. But, but even that, I mean, you, you need to be able to take that out onto the golf course and perform and, and, and make adjustments and, yeah, I, I usually would recommend at least a 50% ratio for the people that I work with, meaning yeah. if you're going to spend 10 hours a week in golf, you know, at least be on the course of five of them. Right. 
Right, exactly. Um, well said. Um, I wanted to ask you something I found very interesting, um, and I want to get you to sort of explain this a little bit more. Uh, you talk about the need for exaggeration and why most folks need to exaggerate, uh, or, or rather don't exaggerate nearly enough and obviously struggle to make some real lasting changes. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think the struggle for us as golfers going back to before is <clears throat> what we feel is not actually real. And mm-hmm. um, the other part of that is um, if we would have kind of one of those old, uh, when we used to actually have maps that were like on a piece of paper and they'd have that little kind of right. scale on the side and they'd say, hey, this amount on the map is actually, you know, this little inch here is worth like 100 miles type of deal. You know, that, that mm-hmm. same thing is true with a golf swing. If I, if I, in my mind, feel like, let's say, let's say just as a crude example, I have a t- I'm doing my backswing, I'm doing a takeaway, and my club head comes too far inside during my takeaway. And I say, okay, mm-hmm. my club head's too far inside. I want to make it neutral. Well, to go from inside to neutral, uh, let's, let, let's say you're a, foot, you're a foot too far inside. To go from a foot too far inside to neutral, you've got to feel about 10 feet outside. Right, you can't you, right. you you can't just feel neutral. That'll never do that at real speed. You got to feel the opposite of what your flaw is, number one, and then you got to feel it big time. Like whatever whatever you think is a tremendous exaggeration in the beginning, probably real. And that's Ted, where the feedback is so freaking important. Because if I stood there right. and I did an exaggerated swing with no feedback, I'm going to tell you you're nuts and the club's way outside. But if I see it and I actually see on video or whatever feedback I'm using, Hey, no, that's actually perfect. Okay. Excellent. Like then I know that that feel gets me my desired result and then I can put the reps in where it becomes habitual. So it'll feel less and less and less exaggerated. It's absolutely critical that people exaggerate enough in the beginning, but most people don't do it. Why? Because there's only 1% who give themselves feedback and they're not willing to go that far and feel that uncomfortable in the beginning, and then they never make that improvement. That's unfortunately the reality of changing a golf swing. Yeah, and and we see that obviously. I mean, you know, with all the advancements and all the technology out there, you know, the um, handicaps are still pretty stagnant uh, for several decades now. You know, not just the last couple of years, but several decades. And you know, we're not seeing, uh, you know, those scores coming down. And a lot of people are scratching their head and thinking, well, you know, look at all the stuff we're, we're throwing out there. But again, you know, it all boils back to, to the, um, the students. If they're not, you know, absorbing or getting that proper feedback, um, then you can throw everything at them, you know, including the sun. Um, but if they're not taking that information and absorbing it and then applying whatever the, you know, situation may be, applying it in real time, um, they're never going to improve. And this is what happens, and this goes to my point earlier when I said, you know, a lot of students come to you at the beginning of the season, they say, well, you know, I've got a slice and, and this, that, and what can you do? And, and and they don't want to put any effort into it, and then they expect you to sort of, you know, work some magic and fix them and, and create, uh, you know, and you can certainly do some things um, that will help them. But, uh, again, if if they're not touching a club now for six weeks and they want to play in their corporate event, um, you know, half the time they're going to forget what you taught them last week anyways. So, you know what I mean? They have to get out there and actually uh, grind it out a little bit. Um, and and that just, you know, it's just human nature, I guess, that, you know, it's like you said earlier, you 
know, when you go to the office and you've maybe got a, a board meeting or you've got a presentation, you're going to prepare for it. And the same thing should be when you go to the golf course. Um, You know, and I know we can't get into and just maybe talk on a few things here, maybe give a few tips uh, before we uh, we close out here in a little bit. But um, and I know we don't have the the visual component here on this show right now, but um, maybe talk. Is there a couple of things that you can talk maybe uh, about the downswing or uh, or even, you know, fixing a slight? We'll give them a free a few nuggets, if you will, Eric, uh, on the show here. Let's talk about that. uh, area downswing is is a big problem. What are what's the mistake? Let's first identify what the mistake is that a lot of golfers are making, and then what you would offer as a solution. Uh, absolutely, and I think I think to your point a minute ago, like we just got done telling the story of it took Mary and I fifteen months to get pretty good at doing videos, and the point being like right. I think golfers underestimate the amount of time it actually takes to get good at a swing, even though in other areas of their lives we seem, we seem okay with it taking a year. If you told someone it would take you a year to kind of get good at something with, with, with a golf swing, they kind of look at you like they're nuts, but that's, um, that's, that's part of the reality. But anyway, the, uh, the, the, the downswing, I think there's a lot of things that I would typically see that's, that, that go off. I, I believe, and I'm starting to kind of more and more I'm teaching, the more and more it's becoming clear to me, there's really only a couple of things that cause problems. So w- w- what golfers do is they see a problem at impact. They see that they flip. They see that they came over the top during the downswing. They see that they didn't shift their weight left, whatever the issue may be. And, and probably 98% of the time, the reason they have a downswing issue is because they have something that went wrong earlier in the swing. And a lot of freaking times, I mean, maybe 80% of it, it's a club face thing. It's something rooted in a club face being typically too open. I mean, I mean, literally, I mean, 80% of the stuff I see, which would include a flip at impact over the top during the downswing, early extension, lack of weight transfer, lack of rotation. I mean, you name it. A lot of all of those things stem from an open club face. Right. And that, that open club face could be as simple as a weak grip. It could be too much forearm rotation during the backswing. It could be too much of a cup left wrist. Um, Kind of going back to the videos before like that, there, there are kind of a couple of fundamental things that go off that lead to a whole lot of problems later on. And what people run into is they'll try and fix that downswing problem. Like they'll try and fix the the over the top downswing without fixing the club face Mm. first. When like, well, you right. know, the only reason you came over the top is because your face was open. Like if you don't, if you don't fix that first, you're probably not facing that over the top or, or, or whatever the issue uh, may be. So I think, I think it's wise to, uh, if, if someone listening is a golfer who wants to improve their downswing pattern or, or any part of it, it would be wise to work with someone who can identify what's going on earlier that's causing that. And when you fix that, you'll actually fix it. It won't be something that continues to pop up forever. That's, that's kind of the telltale sign, I think, is if you fix an issue and it keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back, there's probably something going on earlier that your root cause that you didn't fix. And until you fix that, it's going to keep happening. Well, and yeah, and it goes to the point that you mentioned earlier, you know, um, you know, every action has a, 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 equal reaction to it and you know a lot of times if if you're you know fanning the the club face open uh in the backswing then obviously you have to reroute and correct it in order to get it back to the proper position and and that's when you start running into all kinds of problems 
And, you know, you see a lot of pros, you look at somebody like most people say, well, look at Jim Furyk, look how he's, you know, looping here and doing this and doing that. But what people don't realize is he's done that so many times. Same thing with a player, you go back old school to guys like Lee Trevino and that. I mean, if you were to analyze their, uh, you know, golf swings today under today's standards, people would be scratching their head and say, I can't believe this guy won the majors that he did. Um, But they knew how to manipulate things in such a way to get it back to that that good impact position. Um, now what we're trying to do in today's uh, game is, is to get them to not do that. And in some ways that's a good thing, but in some ways it's a bad thing because there's some people that need to swing the club like a Lee Trevino or, uh, you know, a Jim Furyk or somebody like that. And we're trying to, you know, exactly. again, get them into that a frame, if you will. So, I mean, this is where that interaction between, um, you know, the player and the student is, or the um, coach and the student is, is critical uh, in giving them that good feedback because again, everybody is unique. Um, you know, another thing, Eric, too, that, that we see uh, a lot of people, especially as, you know, as we age a little bit, is not getting enough rotation. Um, and there's a lot of issues. Talk about that. Talk about uh, uh, some rotational problems that, that you've seen and what you offer, uh, again, as some of the solutions for it. Yeah, I think, I think um, some of the biggest flaws we saw, obviously rotation would be one of them. Um, Mary and I just launched a, uh, we did a rotate. We, we do these like master class courses you can buy specifically for a um, swing issue you had. And, and we've done three of them so far. They are a rotation master class, a shallow your downswing master class, and a slice fix master class. And so as you could guess, those are kind of the three that I think are the most, uh, are the most important. Right. And um, yeah, you know, ro- rotation is a huge one, right? If you look at people who hit the ball well versus people who don't hit the ball as well, what are the commonalities amongst those two groups? Well, one-to-one as a measurable fact, golfers who play better rotate their body more than golfers who don't. And that's both on the way right. back and on the way down, but more specifically on the way down, right, which is their pelvis motion or, or hips, if you will, upper body is more uh, rotated, just as you would in any athletic motion. And there's uh, there's there's a lot of drills that you can do for rotation um, if anyone's interested in that, they can check out that masterclass. Or just we, if I think we have about 450 YouTube videos, and uh, rotation is probably the topic of a, a lot of them. Uh, so they can uh, they can get uh, right. some some info on that. But it's a it's it's a fundamental. I mean, it's a fundamental part of playing elite level golf. I don't think you need to rotate super well to break 100 or 90. But um, beyond that, uh, it's it's a it's it's a it's a fundamental part of good golf. Yeah, and, you know, golf can be difficult if you make it that way, but it can also be very easy. I mean, it is a challenging game. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about that. I mean, we've got to be realistic about it. But it can be much easier on the on the club golfer and the amateur golfer um, if they would just pay attention. And I think they get, try to get too technical. You know, we always joke about, um, you know, paralysis by analysis. They try to analyze the swing too much, and they're trying to get in, you know, into slot, you know, slot A into, into – you know, part B and C and, and all this kind of stuff. And instead of really just sort of um, swinging the golf club and, you know, again, if their, yep. their hands are not in the proper position or in a good position, then of course it's going to open the club face and that creates a whole different myriad of problems. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a balancing act in, in our profession because, you know, you're trying to give them solutions. You're trying to, you know, be mindful of, of the fact that they're different than the guy you taught an hour ago um, and even more so in the format that you're now doing online because you're, you're literally programming this out to thousands and tens of thousands of people. So you've got to do it in such a way that 
everybody can take a little something away from that. And then if they want more information, then obviously they can go other areas to uh, within your your channel to to get that. But you know, that's a very difficult balancing act as a, as a teacher professional to be able to do. And uh, again, you know, kudos to you and Mary for for being able to accomplish that. And obviously, you know, the fact that your numbers are rising very rapidly, um, you're obviously, uh, you know, created a good formula for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, th- I think that's a huge, a huge part of it. I think it's, it's funny. A lot of the people that will travel in to see me now for lessons that watch the YouTube kind of assume inherently that I, that I'm going to be heavily mechanical when they, when they see me, I had a gentleman that came in today, actually, who I was with had a three hour booked a three hour session with me. And probably for 90 minutes of it, um, you know, we went through the whole deal, watch him hit balls, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I wanted him to do two things. I wanted him to make his left hand grip stronger, and I wanted him to shift off of the ball during the backswing more. That was it, two things, left hand grip, more shift. And in that 90 minutes we spent on the full swing, I probably said those two things to him about 100 times and within that 90 minutes, right. he asked me about every single joint. You know, what about my right elbow? What about this? What about this? What about this? And my answers were no, right? I'll continue back to the same thing. I'll answer it, but no, left-hand grip, off the ball. Left-hand grip, off the ball. And so if it, if it gets more complicated than that, you're probably missing the boat. It needs to be simple and repetitive, simple and repetitive, over and over and over until you get those baseline things you need to get. Yeah, a lot of times, and, that, and that's a problem with a lot of golfers too, is they they try to get too much information. You know, a lot of times it might be a very simple thing that they're um, needing to work on, and yet they introduce about 15 other problems into it because they see you know something or they've heard something and they think well maybe that's their problem. Yeah. And you know and and it might be something very simple that could cure uh, you know a lot of issues out there for some of the golfers. But again, they're or they're listening to their buddy and saying, well, no, Bob, you're doing this. You're you're sliding this over here, and that may not be the issue. And that's why it's important to to connect with somebody that's um, you know, in our profession that, that obviously has a trained eye to see the things that they need to see. But, um, well, you know what, Eric, it's like you said in the beginning, exactly. it, it, even though it's close to an hour conversation, it seemed like it was only five minutes and, uh, <laughs> I've enjoyed this and I purposely, you know, I purposely did not want to give the information on where people need to go to, to get your information until the very end, because I didn't want people, you know, slipping away and say, okay, I'm going to go and, you know, Google this, or I'm going to search that. So, Let's give them the information. Where do they need to go uh, for your YouTube channel and and some of the different uh, things that you have available? So let's give them the laundry list, and then after the show here in a moment or two, uh, then they can go and check everything out that you've got. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's two main um, – I'm, I'm on Instagram, but, I mean, there's two main deals with um, to contact and watch the content we have. Um, first and the biggest one, obviously, is YouTube. Our YouTube channel is just Eric Cogorno Golf, just my name, uh, Cogorno, C-O-G-O-R-N-O. Uh, Eric Cogorno Golf is the YouTube channel. And then our membership site where we're building our community, um, if you want more in-depth than, than just the videos and, and some personal coaching, um, and to check that out, it's just CogornoGolf.com. So again, just my last name, C-O-G-O-R-N-O Golf.com um, is the membership site. So those are probably the two, the two easiest. I'm, I'm most active on YouTube. Um, we post three videos every week, um, and then we do the Monday Live, so four videos. And in the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to ramp that up, and we'll probably be up to five or six videos. We're going to start posting more live lessons, like actually me with a person um, giving a lesson. We're going to do a lot more on-course stuff. So they'll be probably almost daily daily on there. If, uh, if people want to check that out, I'd be, be glad to see them there. 
Okay, and then also too, uh, just to go back a little bit, you know, you talked about on your YouTube channel uh, Monday nights at five Eastern, uh, you have the live rapid mm-hmm. fire show. So you want to let them uh, know a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. If, if in terms of like actual personal interaction, you're right. That's probably the easiest and most efficient way is on that uh, Eric Ronald Golf YouTube channel every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We do the live. So uh, if anyone has a question or wants to chat or say hi. Um, or kind of come check it out and see what the format's like. It's pretty cool. Um, we talk a lot, uh, a lot of stuff. I think uh, even if you just someone's hanging out and they hang out for an hour or, or 15, 20 minutes, whatever, they'll, they'll see a lot of questions get answered. Maybe can um, have questions, some questions they have in their mind answered as well. So that's that's something they can check out on on YouTube. Right, and they can also uh, going to your your site, your main site. Uh, they can get all the social media contacts as well, like Facebook and things like that as well. Correct. Yeah, yeah. If they if they go online and um, and just search my name and really on any of the platforms, um, you can you can find all the information. The the YouTube channel, if they can hop on there and see that, all the links in the description on all the videos, kind of all of our masterclass products, all of the um, things we're doing with the website and all the anything else like that that we're doing, golf schools that'll be coming up this year, all that information, um, the hub of that's really YouTube. Perfect. Well, Eric, I want to thank you for uh, for stopping by Golf Talk Live. Again, it was a pleasure having you back on the show. And uh, as I said at the beginning, I know it's been a while since you've been on. You've been obviously busy doing a lot of uh, projects and things like that. And uh, I think it's fantastic what you're doing. And, uh, you know, as I said earlier, you know, you if you develop a passion for something um, and you really, you know, sink your, your heart and mind into it, um, <clears throat> you know, chasing the money, uh, in any business, regardless, is never going to bear fruit. It might temporarily, um, but you've obviously done it the other way. And obviously, again, you know, you out to make money too. But um, you're really developing something here that is benefiting uh, golfers and is showing, obviously, in your numbers. And obviously, um, you know, the financial uh, resources, if you will, come to to bear fruit as time goes on. And and I think what you're doing is is a smart uh, a smart platform, and I think the way you're going about it is very good. So again, kudos to not only yourself but also to Mary, your your partner as well. But uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and I hope you'll come back again. Yeah, thanks, Ted. I really I really appreciate it. Hopefully, next time is not uh, not as long in between, and uh, I I really enjoyed it. And I'm I'm happy for you. I'm happy to see that the show is doing so well, and uh, I look forward to coming on soon again. Okay, sounds good, Eric. Uh, have a good uh, weekend. Enjoy uh, the Masters uh, tournament next week. Uh, I hope you'll be watching that. Maybe you'll even head up that way. But uh, thank you very much for being my special guest tonight on Golf Talk Live. Yes, sir. Thanks, Ted. All right. Good night. All right. That was my very special guest, Kogorno, uh, founder and owner of Kogorno Golf. And if you go to kogornogolf.com, is his main site. Uh, or if you look up on YouTube, Eric Kogorno which is spelled C-O-G-O-R-N-O. That's Eric Cogorno, uh, golf on YouTube. You can get his YouTube channel and subscribe. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, you're seeing uh, rapid growth here over the last uh, year and especially even over the last couple of months. So on that note, again, thank you to the Coach's Corner panel, uh, Bill Abrams, Jimmy Zimron, and Paul Castor for doing a great job this evening uh, on the Coach's Corner panel. And I will be back next week with a new panel and another great guest. So I hope you'll tune in. Thanks, God bless everybody, and have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. 
you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. Or listen on any of the following social media platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.